You're listening to the Faith Roots Audio Podcast with Pastor Willie George. You can watch the full video version of this episode and join the conversation with your comments on the Faith Roots YouTube channel. Simply search Faith Roots on YouTube and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, here's Pastor Willie George with today's message. Hello, I'm Willie George. Welcome to this edition of the Faith Roots Podcast, and we're talking about the mystery of the church. Not only is the church a secret that had been hidden, not only from the world, but really even from God's holy prophets, it was something that was secret in the mind of God. Ephesians brings that out very, very clearly, that only in the mind of God was there this idea of the church, and it was after the church was actually born on the day of Pentecost, that people begin to see that there's something more to this group of people than what we've seen. They're not just a bunch of Jewish people who are filled with the Holy Spirit because it isn't long before they're not just Jews, they're also Samaritans. And then it's not very long before they're also Gentiles. And you see this amazing explosion. And then, of course, God begins to give a revelation of all of this to the Apostle Paul. But we're talking about the mystery of the mystery of the church, which has to do with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ back to planet Earth. So the Apostle Paul uh, really explained a lot of this to the Thessalonians. And, and i tell you why I think he did. I think he did because this was a church that went through a great deal of persecution. You know, one of the things I've noticed is that in parts of the world where the church doesn't have a lot of persecution, there are not a lot of people who want the Lord to come back. They're living a pretty good life. They do not have a lot of trouble. But boy, you get in a place where there's a lot of persecution, where people die or suffer greatly for their faith, and those people are calling for the Lord to come quickly. I think it is extremely selfish, very selfish, for believers who live in pleasant places to make light of the coming of the Lord, especially when their brothers and sisters are suffering. And that's one of the things we're told is that uh, we identify with the sufferings of our brothers and sisters around the world, whether we're in it as deeply as they are or not. Here we are, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write unto you. Here's what Paul meant by that. These people were already thoroughly versed in these ideas. They knew these doctrines. They had been taught these doctrines by the Apostle Paul when he was with them. But since he's writing them, it's important for him to set these things to pen and paper so that there will be a record of these things. And it, and it won't be long before people forget them. Um, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, years ago, when we first began Lincoln Christian School football, uh, my brother showed up for a football game and he said to me, Willie, you really need to teach your people how to cheer strategically. And I didn't quite understand because I thought our people did do a pretty good job of cheering, but my brother played football in high school at Odessa Permian in Texas, Friday Night Lights, and they won a state championship there. And they had very sophisticated fans. And one of the things that they did 
is they cheered even when their team made a mistake. If their team lost the football, threw a pass interception, fumbled it away, whatever, other team scores a touchdown, the Permian fans at that time, back in the 70s, they would stand up and clap and cheer and welcome their kids off the field. And they actually cheered louder than the fans of the team that uh, had the good thing happen. We started doing that, and when we did, it took the other fans out of the game. I can give you several stories. Our Lincoln football people and our coaches, they remember these times when we literally shut down the other fans. So they, they thought, why are they cheering? Do they know something we don't know? And it lifted our kids. It shocked everybody else, and we played a little mind game with the opposing team. Now, it worked, but this is funny. I thought that I would have to teach this to our people once, twice, and then they would get it. Here's what I found. Every couple of years, we have to re-educate them because high school is, is pretty fluid. You get a whole new set of parents, a whole new set of players, a whole new set of cheerleaders that people are passing through your school. There's some people who remember things, but after a while, there's nobody who has the memory of what was it that we did? And you have to put it to pen and paper to keep it a part of your culture. That's what Paul is doing here. He said, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. In other words, we will be rolling along in a pretty normal world with everything going pretty much the way it has been going, and then suddenly, in the night, it's like a thief coming. Everybody's shocked. Listen to what he says. For when they, the world, say peace and safety, another word here is security. They're crying out for security. Peace and security, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now, these labor pains, uh, they, they start rather uh, infrequently, uh, and then they get more and more intense, and at the end of the process, a baby's born. That's what is going on here. And this language is used by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. It's used again by Paul in Romans chapter 8. And so we see that this idea of birth pangs is commonly used to talk about when the day of the Lord comes. But he said, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that this day should overtake you as a thief. So he's telling us we're not surprised by this. Why would it be this way? Why are we not surprised? It is because we understand that it's possible to get an approximation of the day of the Lord. This term, day of the Lord, is something that appears all through the Old Testament. It's used again in the New Testament. And it actually originates from the book of Psalms chapter 90 and verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. Peter quotes this and he says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. So there's one of these 1,000-year periods that is God's. And in the book of Revelation, it is the 1,000 years where Jesus Christ rules and reigns on planet Earth. That is one part of the day of the Lord. But there is a problem with Christ coming and ruling like that because the Earth is still populated with people who do not want Him to reign. And they are opposed to His reign. 
they have to be dealt with. There are another group of people who are not necessarily opposed to his reign. They just are in the middle of the road. They're on the fence. They need to make a decision. So there is this transitionary period at the beginning of the day of the Lord that is designed to bring things to a head. And remember, all prophecy is written to one of three groups of people, and not all prophecies are the same, and they're not all addressed to every group. 1 Corinthians 10.32, there are the Jews, there, is the, there are the Gentiles, and then there is the church. We have to look at these prophecies and ask ourselves, to whom is this directed? Is this directed to the Jewish people? Is this directed to the Gentile people? Or is this directed to the church? Now here he's talking to the church, and he's telling them that they will not be surprised by this day, that they will see it coming. Now, these 1,000-year days are pictured even in the earliest books of the Bible, Genesis 2.17, uh, God said to Adam, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. Well, we know that Adam ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he didn't die physically on that day. He did, however, die when he was 930 years old. And I know people read that and they say, that's crazy, nobody could live to be 930. Well, actually, uh, if you study the Scriptures, you'll see that there was above the firmament called heaven, there was a huge amount of water, enough water to fall as rain for 40 days and 40 nights in Noah's flood. This water vapor canopy would have covered the earth. And one of its functions would have been to shield out ultraviolet radiation. I heard a long time ago that people who work a lot around x-rays in the medical community have a shorter lifespan on the whole than people who don't work around that radiation. Radiation is what causes us to age, develop skin cancers, and so forth. And so there was something that protected the earth from those rays that came in from space. And when the flood condensed or the waters condensed, and there were two things, fountains of the deep broke up and then at the same time the water vapor canopy came down. And what you see instantly is the average lifespan came down. People began to live less and less and less and less. And so Adam died at 130. But he also died spiritually on the day that he ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what we got here, two things. We have the symbolic day of the Lord, which is the weekly Sabbath. And so Adam died on the day that he ate the fruit, that, that weekly day. But at the same time, he died in the 1,000-year day, uh, the first one. He died after he ate the fruit. So the day of the Lord is also used to describe God's wrath and judgment on planet Earth. Now, we just read that. It is the day of the birth pangs, and it comes on people suddenly. But listen to what he says in verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Now right here he shows us that these prophecies are separated and the prophecies given to the world and to the Jewish people don't belong to the church. He says this doesn't overtake you. You are all sons of light, sons of the day. We're not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Watch? Yes, watch. We're to watch prophetic events. We're to be abreast of facts. We don't gaze 
People who gaze don't do anything else, but we keep track of the time. We look to see what's going on here, what's going on there. For those who sleep, sleep in the night, and those who get drunk are drunk in the night. And, and this is a mark, I see it now, of, of people, even in the church, even in the church you see this today, of people who are sleeping, because when you don't believe that Christ is coming, it's easy to fall into a party spirit, and that's already happening in the church. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the helmet of salvation, or the hope of salvation. And then listen to this, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This day of the Lord is a day of wrath, and God did not appoint us to wrath. And so this is not our day. We escape this. Nahum uh, chapter 1 and verse 2 says that God reserves His wrath for His enemies. When I hear people say, oh yeah, Christians are going to go through the tribulation period. Uh, God's not going to take us out. We're going to have to go through this. We need to suffer and be purified. Wait a minute. I thought we were purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible says that uh, tribulation and persecution work patience. Uh, what do you need patience for to go to heaven? Uh, you, you, you're going to be fine in heaven. Uh, there won't be anything to be patient for. Uh, we are made righteous, we are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now in this life we need patience, but if we are on our way to heaven to be with the Lord, uh, patience is not something we've got to have. Righteousness and justification, definitely. So for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Now listen to this, verse 11. Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. And so the message that we have is uh, we're comforted because we're not appointed to the day of wrath. We see it coming, but we're not troubled by it because we don't fear that it will happen for us. We will escape it. And it's consistent, always consistent with God's character to deliver the righteous from the destructions that come. You see it with Noah. Jesus used that as an example. You see it with Lot in Sodom. And, and Lot really had plenty of foibles and failures, but he was still considered righteous enough to escape Sodom. And he gets out and Jesus gives us a picture of the righteous through Lot who gets out of Sodom and is not destroyed with the wrath of God that falls. And so God does not hold up wrath. Well, he's waiting for the church to be perfect. Now listen to me. Think about this for a minute. If we had to wait for a perfect church, what about all those people who've died before now, the dead in Christ? Were they perfect? Did they have to be perfect? Many of them died and were you know, you know, they, I, I don't want to say barely saved because if you're saved, you're saved. But they may not have been the strongest believers, but yet they're going to be resurrected bodily. And so the idea that we have to be perfect, uh, fire breathing believers, that we have to be in perfect, total harmony with each other on this earth in order for Christ to come, I, I don't believe that for a second. And that has never been the case with the church. We are perfect in God's eyes. Now, do I believe that the church is going to be at its best? Yes, I do believe that. I believe we're going to be in a great place when Christ returns. But keep in mind 
that over 2,000 years, many, many believers are going to be resurrected before we receive our new bodies. We get this, this all happens at pretty much the same time, but they get theirs first, but they will not necessarily have been perfect people. They were people who had faith and believed. And many of them will be resurrected from the dead who didn't even believe that there would be such a thing. They didn't even know about it. A lot of them were ignorant of it, but it doesn't matter. It is going to happen because it is a part of our salvation package. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Salvation is every single element of provision in his plan. That's what it is. It's all the time I have for today, but we're not done. We'll pick up here tomorrow. See you then. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you for listening.